The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, uh, I, I drove, it was about 11 hours yesterday to speak to you uh, today. So if I drove 11 hours, I'm expecting 30 minutes of attention for you from you. That's really my hope here. So yeah, uh, Emily is my daughter. She is the only person in the room more nervous about this message than I am. Yeah. 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 So if my daughter Anna was here, she would talk about how Emily has a little bit of trouble with coordination sometimes. She trips often, that kind of thing. She would tell you about a story where we were in a museum where there were like real airplanes in the museum inside the building, and Emily actually ran into an airplane. I'm not going to tell that story because it wouldn't be embarrassing to Emily, so I'll just, that was what Anna would say if she was here, though, so, but uh, uh, Emily's wanting to go in the chair right now, but Emily's, uh, I'm really glad that she's here because Karen has meant a lot to me for a long time, and uh, my daughter's a special person. Some things that you, that I should say positively about her maybe to help recuperate here is she was, lived in the Amazon jungle, drove a motorcycle, hunted anaconda, and she has Spanish at the level of a native, which they told us would be nearly impossible when we headed that way. So uh, there's a lot to say about Emily that's positive, even though she might occasionally run into an airplane. All right, so <laughs> let's, let's pray together and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you for uh, this beautiful weather outside that reminds us of your beauty. And Lord, we would be uh, really disobedient and foolish to see the beautiful weather and not reflect upon your beauty, the giver of beauty. And so we, we thank you for who you are. And this morning, I pray that we would, as we read your word, as we study your word together, that you would help us to see you more clearly so that wherever we are uh, in this room, Lord, that you would meet us and that you would show us yourself so that we might walk away recognizing how supreme you are over every other God that we might be tempted to worship or give our allegiance to. So we thank you for this time. I pray, Father, you'd help me get out of the way here and uh, for you to speak clearly to your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So preaching and teaching has always been really significant to me in the Bible. I was uh, about preaching and teaching the Bible. I was a pastor for eight years, and then we went uh, to the Amazon as missionaries. And every time I preach, I see it as a significant moment. I, I never talk about the Bible in a way that I think, um, I never think about it as an ordinary event, which is why it's worth driving 11 hours to speak to you about, because it is the Bible, it's God's Word. And so I, I just would ask us in this room this morning if everyone, even though you know that, and that may be the most, one of the most fundamental truths you came in here with, I, I wonder if you could listen to it afresh this morning, hearing it as the Word of God. So. Regardless of where you are, how tired you are, what you might be thinking, could we just all act this morning? Could we all listen well so that we hear it as God's Word and we receive it as such? Because I think every time the Word of God is spoken, it's really, uh, from what I understand, a life and death issue. Uh, eternal life and eternal death is at stake when the Word of God is preached. And so for me, it's never a small thing to preach. It's always a 
uh, uh, an, an event, and it's too large for me. And so just ask that you would listen accordingly uh, so that you might receive it as God's word. Um, I was trying to think about what would be helpful for you as college students in this part of the year, uh, or just in college in general. Uh, my own time of life in college was incredibly significant for me. I, I didn't know the Lord uh, when I was in high school. I had a good high school experience, um, and I graduated when I was 17, and I was most likely to succeed. And then a year later, I was in a car driving over 100 miles an hour, intending to commit suicide. And the Lord saved me right when I was beginning college. And so college became this incredibly significant time for me because I came to realize who I was and who the Lord was, and I really became my own person during college. Uh, and so I speak to you from that reference point that's still sort of near and dear to me. I don't I hardly ever think of that story without really getting emotional about it uh, because my life was saved both physically in that time and also eternally in that time. And so all of that is kind of melted together in my mind and heart when I think about college. And so I come to you and hope that this message speaks to you wherever you are. Um, I have a basic question, uh, two related questions from the scriptures that I want to address, and I hope that you find yourself somewhere in these questions. So if you look, you don't have to turn here, I'll just read it. Exodus chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. God says to Moses, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses asked God, If I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? And you know the story that God says, tell them that I am who I am. God speaks his name. But Moses' question, if you think about it with me for a moment, is one of doubt and fear, a variety of other things that maybe you're even experiencing this morning. Maybe not in the same way, but there's doubt and fear that may cause you to wonder, who is it that's behind me? Who is sufficient to take me through this? And Moses' question leads to God revealing who he is. Who am I to go? God doesn't necessarily answer his question about who he is and his personality or his particular identity, but he answers his question in saying, this is who I am as God. And this statement that God makes, I am who I am, is really unpacked the rest of the way through Exodus. I think we come to learn who God is by re reading the remainder of Exodus and indeed the rest of the Bible, which shows us who God really is. And so I wonder, in what ways could you identify with Moses in a moment where he is being called on to do something he, that he feels insufficient for? Maybe you're like Moses and you're in the middle of college now and you're thinking, I don't know who I am really. Because in the context I was in before, maybe in high school, I was known as a certain way in that context. People thought about me in a certain way, and now I'm in a different community, and the identity of who I really am now, am now is, is a bit of a mystery. Because I felt like I was one person with this group, and now I'm a different person with this group. Who am I? Something we learn on the mission field often, because a, a missionary kid will often have his 
his or her own identity as host country, home country, and then a different country, different identity in the country to which he goes or she goes. And so maybe you're feeling that way as a student. Who am I? Maybe you're feeling uh, a fear of ability, maybe a doubt in your own ability. You know, it's, uh, we're almost to the end of the year, and I don't know how the year's gone for you, but whatever you're facing, maybe you're facing some sort of fear or doubt or struggle. It makes you wonder whether you're actually going to be able to be successful, that you're going to succeed in some way. Or maybe you're wondering if God really cares for you. I mean, Moses is being asked to do something that would endanger himself. And he's concerned that God is not going to be there with him. God is not going to be all that he needs when he is there. And so I wonder if that's part of what you feel. Maybe you're wondering about God's sufficiency for you. You probably wouldn't say those things aloud. but Maybe you feel them in your heart. This doubt, this fear, this angst that you have. And so I think Moses' question of, who should I say that you are? It's not as, not as much a question about telling the people who God is, but Moses really learning who God is. That He is, I am who I am. That He is all sufficient for Him. And I think it's really interesting that a little later you have Pharaoh asking a related question. Moses asks a question, and then Pharaoh asks a question that sounds similar. Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says this, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? And whereas Moses' question was sincere, in doubt, who are you, Lord? What is your name? Who are you for me when I go and tell these people this thing? Pharaoh's question is more of defiance, skepticism, disbelief. Who is the Lord that I should obey Him? Who, who is He? I don't even know this Lord. We worship our own gods. Who is this Lord that you speak of? Who is this Yahweh? And I wonder if there are others of you this morning who might identify with Pharaoh's question. Maybe there's apathy in your heart. I think that's part of what we see in Pharaoh's heart here, or at least in his answer. Who's the Lord that I should obey Him? What, what does it really matter what the Lord says? I'm going to do what I'm going to do, or outright defiance of, I will not obey your God. And I wonder if some others of you are in the place of outright defiance of what God is calling you to do, about what you know is right and good and true, of what you've been taught, and others of you are in a place of apathy of you really just don't care. I think one of the reasons that I love to teach college students when I enjoyed going to Wisconsin was to talk to them in this time of life where so, much, so many significant things are intersecting, where you're becoming your own self and you're trying to decide, who will I follow? What will I do? What is my identity? And I think all of these are wrapped up in these questions that both Mer Moses and Pharaoh ask. Who is the Lord that I should obey Him, that I should follow Him, that I should do what He is calling? Who is the Lord? And I think the remainder of the Exodus 
is actually an answer to these two questions, these related questions. The Exodus is more than just the deliverance of the people historically. It is that. It is, moreover, a demonstration of who God is to all the nations, all the people. All the people of the world are to look in at the Exodus and say, this is the Lord, and He is supreme above all gods, and therefore He is worthy of obedience, worthy of following. Because if He is one God among many, then He doesn't necessarily deserve our sole allegiance, our loyalty. Some would say we don't even know or can't really know for sure if the biblical God is the true God or if He really has significant authority. Therefore, there's no real reason to concern ourselves about obeying Him. But if the God of Moses, the God of the Bible, is the God over all gods and all people, then there could be nothing more important in your life or my life today. And so I'm speaking to those of you, and I hope this captures most of you, who have some fear who have some doubt about their identity, who may even have some apathy in their hearts and lives, or who may be outright rejecting the Lord altogether. I wonder if that meets most of you in this room in one way or the other. And so I would tell you that just like the Exodus is an answer to Moses in his doubts and an answer to Pharaoh in his defiance, it's an answer to you wherever you are. So I want to... Look at Exodus chapter 18. And you can turn there if you want. I'll read the passages, so if you don't do that, that's okay. Exodus 18. This is an interesting story. I love chapters in the Bible that when I read them, I have no idea why they're there. This is one of those chapters. Because what I found every time is that when I read and study them, they're they're the most amazing passages sometimes. It just... Uh, I, I don't know, it's such a, an unbelievable joy of discovery to read a passage that previously had not landed at all on me and then read it and realize, oh, there is great reason for this passage. And that's exactly what happens here in Exodus chapter 18. You have this meeting between Jethro and Moses. Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. And verse 5 says, He came with his sons and his wife Moses to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. So the text is stating that Jethro comes to Moses and meets him at the mountain of God. This is where they meet near Mount Sinai, which is where the Lord is just about to give the Ten Commandments. Okay, so the geography is important here. So the Exodus has just taken place, if you know your Bible, and what's about to take place is the giving of the Ten Commandments, and in between is Exodus 18. So two serious things, really significant things in the Bible, the Exodus and the giving of the law, and in the middle, in between those, is Exodus 18, and Jethro, is meet, Jethro Moses' father-in-law, is meeting Moses. And so that's what makes me scratch my head sometimes when I come to texts like this and say, okay, we've got the Exodus, that's huge, and then we've got Moses giving the Ten Commandments on the mountain, what is this meeting between Moses and, father-in-law, and his father-in-law? What does that have to do with any of this? So I think if you keep reading, you come to realize that it's very significant. It's placed here for a reason. It's actually a hinge chapter. That this meeting between Moses and Jethro actually looks back to the Exodus and looks forward to the law. The giving of the law. 1 through 12 is looking back at the Exodus and 13 and following are actually looking forward to the law. 
And I'll let you read verses 13 and following, see if you can figure out how it addresses the law. I only have time for 1 through 12, so we're going to look back at the Exodus right now. So, this hinge chapter here, and remember what Moses asked, who should I say that you are? And Pharaoh asks, who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? Exodus 18, 1-12 actually looks back over what's taken place since those questions have been asked by Moses and by Pharaoh. And what has taken place is an answer to those questions. And now we're coming to this chapter which summarizes it all. So if you're in the place of Moses or in the place of Pharaoh and having doubts or defiance, apathy or fear, this is a good chapter to go to to see what the answer to the questions you might have on your own heart might be. Remember the purpose of Exodus, or maybe you don't know the purpose of Exodus. Chapter 9, verses 14 through 16 says, God says, For this purpose I have raised you up, talking to Pharaoh, to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. In other words, the Exodus is in large part, in most significant part, an event to show the world who God is, to answer Pharaoh, to answer Moses, to answer you and I when we have these questions. So verse 1 of chapter 18, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. You see, in the very first verse, we were looking back to the Exodus. So you might have read this chapter before and just thought, okay, here are these two men meeting. What's the purpose of their meeting? Verse 1 causes you to look back at the Exodus. The Lord has brought them out of Egypt. Then verses 2 through 4. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home along with her two sons. The name of the one son was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. What does that look back to, the name? Sojourner in a foreign land looks back to the captivity, looks back to when Moses was actually a sojourner in a foreign land, and the name of the others, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So why are there the explanation of the names of Moses' children here? Because we're looking back at the Exodus again. It's not a chance encounter between these two men. This is a culmination of what's been taking place. And everything is pointing back to the Exodus. The name of of Moses' first child, reminds us that Moses was a foreigner himself in Midian. Reminds us that the Israelites were foreigners in Egypt. Maybe it reminds you that you feel a little foreign at times. Feel out of place. You feel like you're not in the right spot sometimes, like you don't belong. Moses then tells the name, or the, the, we were given the name of Moses' other child, and his, his name, Eliezer, means the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. God delivered Moses as well as the Israelites, and we've just learned that. In fact, the word delivered occurs five times in this chapter. It's all about remembering what God has done in the Exodus. And then Moses gives testimony to his father-in-law, Jethro, of the good news of the Exodus. Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro responds by saying, by rejoicing for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. 
Jethro then said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered his people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in his affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. This is the point of the story, what Jethro now proclaims. This is the summary of the Exodus and the answer to Moses' question and Pharaoh's question. Who are you, Lord, in my doubts? Who are you in my discouragement? Who are you in my fear and my lack of identity of knowing who I am and whether you're sufficient? Who are you, Lord, that I should obey you above all gods? Who are you to tell me what I should do? And Jethro's answer is, the Lord is greater than all gods. And the Exodus demonstrates that. That He delivered them out of their slavery. He delivered them out of their difficulty and brought them into the promise, will bring them into the promised land. It is His saving power. Power over all the gods. Power over those who would be defiant. That demonstrates that in fact, God is supreme over all gods. He therefore answers Moses' question, Who are you that I should trust you and obey you? And who are you that I should choose to obey you above all gods? The answer is, He is the supreme God over all. He is the one who delivered Israel out of the Exodus. And this is significant. Notice verse 12. All of this is here for a reason. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Again, a verse you'd think, okay, that's nice. He offered a sacrifice. What is the significance of that? You realize this is actually the first time that we've read of a sacrifice after the Exodus has taken place. And remember what Moses said to Pharaoh, let my people go so that we may go worship and offer sacrifices in the wilderness. And where is Jethro? He's in the wilderness meeting with Moses and for the first time that's recorded in the Exodus, he's offering a sacrifice. And the point is, when Pharaoh says, who am I that I should obey your Lord, your God, and let you go sacrifice? And the answer has been clearly displayed. This Lord, He's supreme over all the gods, and now Jethro will offer sacrifice in the wilderness. uh, Pharaoh has been defeated. God has answered Pharaoh's defiant question. The God of the Hebrews has met with them And they have now offered sacrifice. So why does Moses record all of this for us? I used to think when I was reading the Bible that it was written at the same time, almost, as it was happening. You know, just like recorded history somehow in the moment. Yet you learn that these things were written later for another generation to read. We're another generation, and what's the point? Why would you benefit from reading the Exodus? about the Exodus. It's because you're not supposed to take away from the story that God only did this historically, and that belongs in the history books as something that God did back then. It is to answer your questions also. Which is, if you're here this morning, you're saying, I don't know if I can even finish the semester, let alone come back next year. My grades are suffering, or I have this relationship that's bombing out. My family situation's difficult. I'm not sure... If I can survive this, I don't know what my future is like. Did you know that the Exodus story is actually written to answer your questions? The question is, the answer is, 
the Lord, He is supreme over all gods. He demonstrated it by parting the Red Sea so that people might be walked walk through it and that the greatest enemies of God might be defeated in the water. The Lord, He is God, and He is supreme over all things, and therefore, you need not fear. You need not be discouraged. Your God is supreme. And it's written for those of you who may be apathetic and defiant. And I think my heart goes out to you most this morning. One of the hardest things about being a pastor sometimes is that you preach sermons that you think you can't help it. You think of people in the congregation that you hope hear it so that they'll change. It just happens. Like, you know someone is rebellious in this way and you think, wow, I'm preaching this sermon and it meets them where they are and inevitably as a pastor they don't even come. That's what happens. But often they don't actually hear it. So I feel that way when I speak before college students sometimes. Because I've taught enough college classes to know some that, you know, you may just... Sit in class with your arms crossed. You're leaning back in your chair just waiting for it to be done. You're in chapel because you're required to do it. You really don't care about what's being spoken of. It's just part of the process. And I would say you're, you're asking a question with your heart that you really may not even realize. And it sounds a lot like Pharaoh's question. Who is the Lord? that I should obey Him. I think apathy is closer to defiance than it is to doubt. Apathy is something where you say, it's not worth it for me. It's not worthy of my affection. It's not worthy of my attention. It's not worthy of my time. And so I'll just sit here and wait for this to be over with. And yet, Exodus 18, the Exodus itself would answer your question that's in your heart and say, the Lord, He is worthy. It's exactly why Jethro, when he hears this good news of the Exodus, praises God and says, blessed be the Lord. And I'm hoping, I really am hoping this morning that one apathetic student would hear the story of the Exodus, go back to your room and read it, and wake up from your slumber of apathy and say, you know what, I'm not going to live that way anymore because God is worthy. He is supreme above all gods. And whatever I've been hoping in or not hoping in, whatever has caused me just to be apathetic in my life or as a student or in my obedience to God, I'm going to look at Him again and say, if this God can open the sea and deliver His people, then I will serve that God. And I will do it with zeal. I pray that that's at least one of you this morning. And then for others of you who were just in a situation where it's difficult, or you're doubting, or you're struggling, and maybe it's such that you can't even tell other people around you, I would say to you, look to the God of the Exodus and know who He is. He, he can deliver you. He can rescue you. Just like when I was in my car driving over 100 miles an hour with the intention of putting my car into a tree, the Lord rescued me. More than the, I want you to hear the testi my testimony and say, I can say to you personally, the Lord rescued me. He, he delivered me. I'm here today speaking to you in chapel because on a road that was curvy, when I was trying to kill myself, God rescued me. And so forever, from that point, I will proclaim His name and tell you from my own life, He is worthy of following and He is a help to you.
He will rescue you. And hear the testimony of the Exodus which says, He is able to deliver. And all that Pharaoh was counting on was drowned in the sea with him as God is supreme over all gods. I want to close with this. As powerful as the Exodus is, I mean, I I don't know if you can just picture it there. That's part of the reason the Bible has so much narrative in it, is you're supposed to find yourself in the story. Stories do that. Just Your emotions get drawn in. You feel like you're a part of the story at points, so you feel the emotions of the characters. So I wonder if you think about being at the edge of the Red Sea and feeling like the Egyptians and Pharaoh are coming after you to attack and kill you and feeling the pressure and the weight and the fear and all that's there with you. And then, in a moment, the sea opens up and you walk through on dry land and then all the enemies are defeated. Can you imagine the power of that in that moment? I want you to feel that power. I want you to hear that power. Experience that as you think about the story. As powerful as that is to quell your questions, to overcome your doubts, to overcome your defiance, Do you know we even have a greater story than that? When you read through the Old Testament after the Exodus, things point back to the Exodus over and over again. It's really amazing. You you should do this sometime. Just read through your Old Testament and think how many references there are to the Exodus. And you start wondering, what is that about? Why are the authors always pointing back to the Exodus? Psalms sung about it, prophets speaking about it. What's going on there? Well, in part... It's because the Exodus shows who God is to the world, to Israel, and in part because the Bible is actually looking forward to another Exodus. The prophets speak of a new Exodus that will come, that a new deliverance will come, which will be even greater than the previous Exodus, if you can imagine something greater than that Exodus. And so when you get to the New Testament, you read the authors, this idea of a new Exodus permeates many of the Gospel writings. There's stories that link you back to the stories of the Exodus and salvation is spoken of, the rescue is spoken of in ways that remind you of what happened on that day in the Exodus. In fact, you have words even like Luke 9.28 when Jesus is on the mountain to pray and he, two men are walking with Him and He speaks the transfiguration where He's revealing His glory and He spoke of His departure Maybe, even there, the word departure, it's the word exodus, may even be a hint back to what's going on, that Jesus is about to accomplish a new exodus, a new deliverance of His people, a demonstration of the supremacy of God. So Jesus on the cross delivers people, not from Egyptians that are pursuing and Pharaoh who's defying against God, but Satan Sin and the power of death. Jesus overcomes that in this new exodus. And as a demonstration that it's all been accomplished, Jesus raises from the dead, demonstrates His power, so that all might say like the centurion, surely this was the Son of God. There's a revelation taking place to show you that Jesus, God's Son, is the great deliverer now. He is the one who demonstrates that God is supreme over all gods. He has accomplished a new exodus, which is even more powerful than the previous one. 
So, so will you just walk away today with those two stories in your mind? 